Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Ryan Tansom, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, Ryan. Uh, Ryan Tansom helped turn around his family's business and then sold it for eight figures. Since then, Ryan founded Arcona to teach business owners how to grow the value of their business with the end in mind through educational workshops, fractional CFO services, and strategic planning. In addition to Arcona, Ryan is a sought-after speaker and host of the popular podcast called Intentional Growth. With more than 230 episodes, Ryan has interviewed business leaders throughout the world like Jack Stack, Gino Wickman, and the editor of Inc. Magazine and the Harvard Business Review. So Ryan, welcome. Welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Like I said, Mark, it's fun being on the other side. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, intentional growth, value with end in mind. That's These are topics that not too many architects when they're launching their firms typically think about. So that's where I want to go today. I want to talk about uh, value and how do we grow our firms and how do we grow the, the value of those firms. But before we do that, I want to dive deeper into your story. I want to hear your story. I want to hear about this this eight-figure transformation. So go back to the beginning. Go back to how this all started. Share your story from where you discovered your passion to where you are today. 
Um, absolutely, Mark. And just as a, as a note for all your listeners, this is going to be applicable for every kind of business. So yes, we're, we got architects that are t- uh, tuning in. They're going to hear me say, copy your business. And then they're going to hit, don't hit end, right? This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is going to be applicable for, for the listeners for sure. So, um, the short version of my dad and I's story, my dad started our family business in the nineties, uh, back when copiers were actually technology, Mark. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, I can just picture all the CAD drawings and all that stuff. This is before all that stuff got yeah. digitized. And so, um, he grew up from the zero, zero to, um, 21 million, 115 employees. I got involved in the business around the financial crisis where the uh, margins dropped out of the out of the um, equipment and everybody got hit differently. I know you're the, the industry that you're in very much so in the 0809. We had essentially a, a five, six year turnaround from there. So people, processes, new branding, built out to manage IT services. Um, I was uh, the executive VP in my mid twenties by the time we ended up selling. Essentially where the, where the, the challenges came, Mark, is my dad and I wanted different things different partners, different ages. He wanted to take more distributions. I wanted to reinvest and yep. it's the same cash flow, right? And so we're trying to figure out how do we fix all this stuff? We've got CPAs coming in and bankers and attorneys and investment bankers and they, all their strategies were really cool or really made a lot of sense in that vacuum. But then we'd walk back and we go, what does that mean to us? Yeah. And we still couldn't figure out how to clarify that path for Corey Tansom, Ryan Tansom, for us, both of what we want, as well as us financially. So we, we, you know, just super trapped, you know, feeling like every year you'd wake up in less progress, right? Like I want to be further to my dream. So we made a rash decision and sold the business because that was our way out. That eight figures, you pay taxes on that, you pay down sure. your debt, doesn't necessarily mean eight figures goes into your pocket. So that was back in 2014. And I just, since then, Mark, I was like, what the heck happened? I was running a $20 million business in my 20s. Now I'm sitting in a cube next to an intern. I fired 55 of my 85 employees. What is going on and what could have been done differently? So that kind of started the entire journey. And as we get into this, what I realized, had we understood what created value, and what was valuable in a business, we would have just been more intentional to focus on creating more value. And then we would have understood our choices and had an understanding and a framework to make decisions. Um, so that started the podcast, started Arcona, and the kind of the rest is history, and we can dive into that. Yeah, I, 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 I could imagine that that business is a very difficult business to have been in at the moment that you entered the business. That this this is a you know a, a company that at one time was tech right that was the tech company right it was it was copy machines <laughs> and and those kind of things fax machines and and there was a time where every business had a copy machine and it was leased and that was you know it was a really good business and then the world changes as it does right the internet shows up and scanning happens and email happens and the demand for what you were doing changed. Um, and on top of that, the the economy shifted dramatically. Um, and so what were some of the things that you did when that happened? When when you saw that the that the the world was changing around you, the business environment uh, generally was changing, but your your industry was sh- shifting. Um, how do you how do you take it into those five years of recovery? What do you what do you do? 
It's a good question, Mark. And I think what's really interesting is I think a lot of us entrepreneurs and business owners make it more complicated than it needs to be because the all those things change, like you said, but guess what? Our customers' needs never changed. Like they need to wake up. I mean, we had a bunch of architects as clients, right? You need to wake up, you need to do your drawings, you need to communicate with your clients, you need to make more money, and you need to make sure you can go home and everything's good. And it, the technology was copiers to double your productivity with duplicating, right? But like, then it became email and software and all that stuff. So the needs were expanding, but the problem was still the same. And so right. we evolved, you know, we built out the managed IT services. We were doing everything for the Minnesota wild. So like hosting people on site, copy center, data center, like software automation. I mean, the whole works so that the Minnesota wild could get on the rink, go to the Stanley cup, and win the championship, right? <laughs> like the problems were the same. It just wasn't paper. And so, you know, and we can talk about how businesses evolve, which also creates more value. And I'll maybe kind of drop a seed here is the more sustainable, predictable, and transferable your cash flow is, the more your company's worth. Period. End of story. So say that again sustainable, predictable, and transferable. I don't care if you're a law firm architect, if you're a CPA, if you're a SaaS business, or if you're a pharmaceutical business, the more sustainable, predictable, transferable your cash flow is, the more it's worth. So you could either like Blockbuster ride that investment right into the ground as they only optimize for late fees, or guess what? The users never wanted anything different. They still wanted to watch TV. Right. It's the right. same. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're talking to thousands of small firm architects. Many of them are business owners. The majority of them are business owners. They started their firms because they wanted to make a difference in the world as architects. Many of us architects don't start architecture firms because we want to start a business. Um, but we need to, right? We're, we, we are running businesses. We need to look at the way businesses are structured and think about how, at the end, what do we do with that business? So how do we maximize the value of our life's work as architecture firm owners? I think one of the biggest concepts that if people walk away, other than the sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow, as Mark, is it's the shift in mindset away from annual income to solving from annual income to understanding long-term value. And what I mean by that. So again, this is applicable to any business, more even more specifically to service-based businesses, which by the way, I have. So I have the same problems that your audience does from Arcona's perspective. But if you're solving, what is the definition of solving for annual income? That is, if I'm a one and a half million dollar revenue firm, like you have a salary because you're doing work for clients, right? So you're actually providing goods and services inside that business, but you're also the equity owner of that financial asset. So on a one and a half million bucks, let's say your net income, which we don't have to get into the super technical of the EBITDA, which is just a proxy for cash flow. Like your take home every year is a combination of your salary, whatever perks you're running through the business and the, the distributions, right? And if you're solving for that annual max dollar amount, the max K1, you're not gonna, you don't have a plan to reinvest those distributions. Like we only have a few choices every year as business owners. How much do you reinvest? Make sure you pay your taxes. You know, then how much do you reinvest and how much do you take home, right? And if you're gonna reinvest it, hopefully you're creating more value. Otherwise take it home. 
right? I mean, it's just really that simple. And if you don't have a plan on how that investment is going to pay off in the business, then take it home. So it's just a separation to say, hey, you get market comp for being an architect or a designer or project manager or HR, whatever the heck you're doing in the business, you can hire people to do that stuff. You just happen to assume one of those jobs and that's part of your take home at the end of the year. But when you separate that from, okay, what is the value of this and how do I grow this asset? Once you, once you separate those two, your decisions on both become different. And you can optimize for different things, but if you're solving for annual or long-term value creation, you then have an idea of what this thing could be worth and how it fits into your long-term plan. Right. So as an architect, architect owner, right? So we, we are an architect. We are also a, a firm owner. So those are two different roles, two different responsibilities, two different businesses really, right? So what you just said, Ryan, is that as an architect, I'm getting paid as an architect then as a business owner, I need to create long-term value in that business. So when the time comes that I need to transition on to the next season in my life, there's something there to transition with, right? That it's not just all about the salary. It's also about this long-term, right? That's basically what you're saying. It is, Mark. And I think there one thing I want to make sure I reiterate for everybody, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just being aware. And let me describe what I mean by that. And I'll even use my company as an example, because in case people are going, well, hey, you're not as familiar with our industry. I have worked in your industry in the, in the past, but the how this relates to Arcona and, and the, just making a decision is if you say, Mark, you know what, I'm a, I got a one and a half million dollar business between my salary at about 100, 150, whatever the heck it is, and the additional $150,000 $150, in distributions, I want my X amount, you know, in that example, for what, three, $400,000 lifestyle, save your money. Don't expect the firm to be worth $10 million if you're not optimizing for a valuable asset. There's no wrong decision. It's just a choice. Right. But it's like this, I call it purgatory, where people expect to be worth $10 million. They also want the $400,000 distributions. And they go, why? Why, am I, <laughs> why do I have the situation? And so it's just saying, okay, this is a choice. Because, you know, reinvesting for growth is a choice. It's expensive. It's hard. It's, you know, challenging, but the payoff, you know, there's dollars for the payoff, but it's just a choice. And so going back to your point about like, in just to give Arcona's example, we have outside of our training and workshops, we have fractional CFO services, hourly rate, right? So I have CFOs and my partner is one of those of the three that we have. He gets paid to be a CFO, right? But so he has me and Pat both have guaranteed payments because we're an S-Corp, yep. LLC file fund is an S-Corp. We have guaranteed payments. So he doesn't, you've ever, I'm sure in your industry, it's everywhere in services, you eat what you kill. That's solving for annual income. Versus Pat and I, we have guaranteed payments. And then all the money from training, from strategic planning, from CFO services goes into the company bucket. We have a plan for how we're reinvesting that to productize more things, create more programs, create more training to create more value, to have more sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. It's a plan of ours. Could we both make more annual income right now if we decided not to do that? Absolutely. Right, right. You could just take it all home and not worry about what happens at the end. And when you're done, you close the doors and you walk away and you take your money and you go do something else with it. Yeah, and technically, and, and this is very interesting because it's very similar to architect firms or CPA firms or law firms that I'm the sales guy, right? And weird, right? You probably haven't noticed that from already from the conversation. I'm not going in there tearing through people's numbers as the CFO, but as a sales guy, I'm selling to go into the machine, 
right? If I, if we were eating what we were killing, Pat would be making way more money than me because he's doing the services, right? But like us as a partnership, we're driving this asset forward and we know that we're, he's investing some of the money that he could be in the eat what you kill. He could be making more money than me right now and I wouldn't be part, you know, so you see how this challenge of these different roles when you're all unified with a big vision, it all makes sense. Yeah. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. Now, you've probably heard of Zaha Hadid Architects. They're one of the world's best known firms. And when it comes to innovation, they're big fans of pushing boundaries. The team at ZHA has started using Twinmotion, a simple real-time ArcViz tool that lets you instantly visualize ideas and clearly communicate them to stakeholders. ZHA designer Marco Marchetta says that the benefits of using Twinmotion for the designers are the simplicity of the interface, the playfulness with which you can articulate your scenes, and not having to worry about all the technical aspects that real-time usually brings, like light maps and PBR workflows or other technical details. Marco also loved Twinmotion Cloud, which lets any member of the team access the project from their web browsers without a single download or installation. The project manager can access the model, review it, and immediately give you feedback anytime from anywhere, says Marco. To download a free trial today, visit our exclusive URL, twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to try Twinmotion for free. BIM can be important for your next project, but it's not the only thing you need for your next project. That's why it's important that 95% of manufacturers who offer free BIM files on RCAT also offer another type of data or information that your project may need. That means 95% of the products with BIM also have CAD files, are in a specification, in a patented spec wizard, or may have product information to help you make the right selection. So stop going to a site with just BIM and go to RCAT.com to get everything you need for your next project for free and without registering. No cost, no credit card, no email, it's free. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like us. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you can spend nailing a client pitch, designing your next project, or building your business as an architect. From preparing, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. So try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. No credit card required. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section and get more time back to build the business you love. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Monograph is building a community of like-minded firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. On top of that, Monograph is building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects 
by architects. Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your team to know in near real time whether you're on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, role assignments, and manage team members all in one place. The best part of Monograph? It doesn't require a degree in finance to use it. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. And to underscore their commitment, on August 12th, Monograph will be hosting their first ever virtual conference. It's called Section Cut. This one-day event brings firm owners, operations leaders, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops, all with a goal of improving their businesses. Reserve a seat at Section Cut today by visiting sectioncut.com. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Let's let's talk a little bit about tactics. Let's talk about growing our firm's value. What are three, let's say the top three things architects need to do to increase the value of their firms? What would you say are those top three things they need to focus on? Can I provide a little context? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Con- yeah, yeah. Because I'll get into this, and then if I don't, uh, make sure you, you drive me back to it. There's this concept of valuation, Mark, that I want to just simplify. Again, yeah. people make things more complicated than they need to be. There are two ways to look at value, in our opinion. You have what is called what we call intrinsic or financial value, which is a value placed on your cash flow based on the risk. This goes for government bonds, public companies, private companies, service companies, SaaS companies. What is the intrinsic risk of that financial asset? So how sustainable, predictable, and transferable it is. They place you know, a multiple or a discounted cash flow. There's a bunch of technical stuff, but essentially there's a risk associated with, hey, Mark, your cash flow at the end of this year, is it going to be there? And is it going to continue to grow? And how confident are we in that? That's it, right? There's a financial value. that. Then there's the transaction value, which is the financial value, but then there's a buyer and seller. It's actually when the transaction happens. Could be a family buyout, could be a partnership buyout, could be a private equity, could be anything. They might place a premium on that financial value because of synergies. They might place a discount on it because of family transition estate planning. It started in reality, right? But they somehow went up and down. Yeah. So again, all of this is predicated on the risk of your cash flow. We're just now articulating it that way. To begin with, and you can measure the financial value of your company and your firm today, and then and you can project it out. This is what financial buyers do all the time, anyways. And ESOPs, and we don't get into that, but the reality is that once you say, okay, now we, we want to focus on de-risking the company by growing a more sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow. Inside of that, the company-specific risk of what's going on. There, you know, there's a lot of different systems out there. John Warlow's got eight function, uh, the, the value builder system. There's a bunch of different kind of systems out there that are kind of helping address this. Just think about it, Mark. Is it, these are just all different frameworks to help address the company specific risk of the cash flow. I don't care what you use. I really don't. Just start identifying. This is a thing. How do we de-risk that? So there's one system that we like that's got eight, eight areas as well. People, operations finance, planning, legal. I mean, it's, it's just very typical, like where it, a company is like an engine, you need all the components. 
without finance, what do you got? Nothing, right? Without sales and marketing, what do you got? Nothing. So essentially what we need to do is anything that makes your cash flow more sustainable, predictable, and transferable applies. You know, so, you know, ERP systems and billing systems or executive team and management leader or the clean financials with projections, all like, I mean, we could all probably think of a thousand things that are helping systematize your company. Those provide more, um, more in, let me back up and say that a different way that all those things make your company more sustainable and transferable, which enhances the value of the company. And you can track that. Right. So, so the sustainability, the predictability, and the transferability of cash flow is what increases value. The more predictable it is, the more sustainable it is, the more easily transferred it is, the more value your business will have. Period. Yeah. Right. So, so by, by creating systems within each one of those categories of your business, so it becomes more predictable, more transferable, more sustainable, um, more automated, more delegated, all of the things that make businesses flow and run smoothly adds value to your business. Absolutely. And I want to go a later deep and just cut me off if you say this is too much. So, so let's say, you know, in there's net income, right? And then if you get to EBITDA, which is just a proxy for cash flow, there's this other thing called normalized EBITDA, which just means like, Hey, Mark, if I wanted to buy your business, what do you, what, like, what, if, if I were to buy it, what cash flow is available? I don't care what debt structure you've got. I don't care if you're running cars and health insurance, you got your wife on the payroll. I don't care. I want to know what's available for me as the next buyer. That's called the normalization process. So inside of that, it's not just all those funny, goofy perks that we all laugh at as business owners, but it's also, let's say, Mark, you had hired a recruiter that you paid 30 grand in recruiting fees in 2020 to hire your COO to run the firm, you're not going to have to hire a COO every year, right? So the 30 grand that you paid for that recruiter is called a normalization. So you add that back to EBITDA, which is what the multiple is applied to. So it's a, if it's four, it's a multiple of four to get to the value and it's times 500 grand in EBITDA, that's a $2 million business, right? You didn't, by doing that recruiting, you didn't eliminate the value of your business. You actually enhanced that value. You might've gone from a three and a half multiple to a four, but you reduced your annual income. Right. So right. that, that, that normalization is like the shifting, like, okay, I'm going to take home less to invest more so I can go from a three, you know, one and a half million dollar company to two. You have a reason for that investment to pay off. Right. So when, um, two things, EBITDA, can you just explain what that is? So people who are listening understand what that means. I know, I know, I know it's approximately yep. for, for cash flow, but what are the actual E earnings before interest? taxes, depreciation, and amortization, right? Because depreciation is an accounting thing, right? Yeah. We just need to know how much cash is available for a new buyer. I mean, they, it's because like, for example, like if you were a C-Corp, Mark, I don't care. Like, I want to know what, like, it's a, let's make it super easy for everybody because in real estate, if I wanted to buy your building or your house, I have zero care how much you owe on it, whether you've got a floating rate or if you've got a fixed rate, if it's 15 years, I don't care. I want your house. <laughs> like, right. like, and so the house in this example is your cash flow. I want the cash flow, all your complicated stuff. I don't really care about. I just need to know if I were to buy this firm, 
what's going to continue to be generated and what what cash is available for me as a new buyer to reinvest right and to be able to to make sure that again what's the uh, confidence i have it's going to continue on a on a general scale how how does that multiplier get calculated how do you determine whether it's a 3x or a 5x what how does that work <laughs> super we we could get way geeky here but the the I'll, I'll start for what is a multiple all people are doing market let's take that four multiple on the 500 grand in ebitda yep and by the way that net income in that ebitda example might be lower than the normalized ebitda right so this is why again shift your mindset like we want to know what that normalized ebitda so let's say it's 500 grand and it's a four multiple i'm willing to pay you four years of cash flow for your business if I'm willing to pay you seven, it's because I'm super confident that Mark built one hell of a business. If I'm willing to pay you two, it means you don't have your stuff together. It's just literally, it's just how many years yep. of cash flow are we willing to get? And then there's a lot of com- complexities of like when and how you get that money. But that's essentially in, in a nutshell, how many years, what goes into that multiple mark? There's called a and again, I'll do it, but like, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole. It's called the discounted cash flow. but there's all this technical stuff that a financial engineer can help you understand. But that in that discounted cash flow, there's, they essentially take the riskier cash flow, how they're essentially doing it kind of like a cap rate for commercial real estate investing, right? We need to say, okay, if the cap rates 20%, the assets risky, right? Yeah. If you got a 5% cap rate, Walgreens, CVS, just because everybody knows it's the assets worth a lot. It's not a great corner, all that stuff. Business is the exact same thing. The higher the discount, the, 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 dis, the, the risk factors, the lower the assets worth. So we want to de-risk it. So essentially that number, the risk is the inverse of the multiple. So if you have a 20% risk rate, it's a five multiple. Got it. And, and, and I think the the thing that I realize going back to why this all matters to anybody, because you could be going up to glossing over, by the way, financial accounting was my worst grade in college. <laughs> it really was, I was a copier sales guy. I mean, come I, on. Ironic, IT, isn't it? Isn't it, it interesting is. how life works? <laughs> if this is like the matrix, Mark, if you don't understand this stuff, life's just going to happen to you. And after life happened to me in 2014, I was like, no, thank you. I would like to know how the matrix works right. so I can control this. And then you can focus on growing more value. Just like in real estate, you're investing in the things that produce a return. Otherwise, take the money home. Right, right. And that's what I want to make sure everybody understands is that that essentially it's about cash flow and how predictable, sustainable, and transferable that cash flow can be. And then the whole percentages things and what your your firm is actually worth is determined by the market. Essentially, it's who it's what they're somebody out there is willing to pay for it, and other firms are what they're willing to pay for it, and the risk that's involved in your firm, and and how easy is it to transfer and somebody else to slide into your seat and run the business just like you. So the more automated it is, the more predictable it is, the more transferable it is, the more sustainable it is, the more valuable it is. And I want to, you're spot on. I want to layer back on one of the concepts we were just talking about intrinsic financial value versus transaction value. You, cause you'd mentioned your firm is worth, but someone's willing to pay for it. Okay. So that's kind of in that transaction value. Are we talking about another architect that's going to come in here and pay for it where they're valuing the the pay, the payroll as well as the distributions, or is it a financial firm? 
the the transaction value there's a lot of what ifs but what's not really up to what ifs is you, the financial intrinsic value of your company every single person listening in right now can go that's a calculation a, yeah it's literally just a calculation to say hey mark how risky is your company oh you have no accounting systems well that, that's gonna ding it so they're going through this to say in that example we we're saying let's say it's what it's a two multiple and a half million bucks it's worth a million dollars right now and when i say it's not really up to this uh, up to argument is that financial value is what an sba loan will give a loan at it's what they underwrite it at it's what esops valued at it's what the financial world values it at which is your baseline so if you solve for increasing the intrinsic financial value of your firm you can literally like let's say you tried to sell to a third party but it didn't work out you can turn around you can go get an sba loan your other partner could buy you out a different architect could buy you out like you almost pre-engineered your outcome because you didn't hope that some random third party is going to come in <laughs> to pay for all your headaches a lot of money let you walk away and retire immediately you're not just hoping you're literally saying hey if that doesn't work out i absolutely because the value's there the SBA will underwrite it and someone else can buy it for me. So the architecture firm ferry doesn't exist. <laughs> it, 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 it does, but you got to be really sure that that ferry is going to visit you. <laughs> I just, so, so let's say we've done this, right? We've, we've, we're, we're listening to this podcast and we have, we have, uh, built the the sustainability, the predictability and the transferability of the cash flow of our firm. We've done all that. We've got our systems in place, and we think our firm's worth, you know, a lot, right? And we can we can then we have some choices at the end of our careers, right? And so we all want, right? Right, and that's the goal, right? Is to have choices, not just okay, time's up, close the door, everybody's fired, (laughs) or hope hope the ferry comes out, right? Right, right. No ferry hasn't come yet, (laughs) so we're closing. Sorry, everybody loses their job, and uh, there's nothing left for retirement. So we we did it right, right, and so we we have a firm that's working well and it's worth it's worth some value. Um, what are our choices at the end? When when and this is the reason I'm bringing this up is because we need to make these decisions today on what those choices may be when it's time to move on to the next thing in our life. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. We mm-hmm. can't really get too deep into that, but what are the choices that we have when we're ready to move on to the next season of our of our lives? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll give you, so this is, uh, we have five principles of the intentional growth framework. We don't have to get into them right now. And that's all on the website, but the, the, the third principle is your exit options. And again, as you've probably seen, I like to take the complex and make it simple. Like we have to understand common themes between things. So other than saying, Hey, by the way, Mark, there's an infinite amount of possibilities. You go, well, that was not helpful. So <laughs> what we did is we took and we said, okay, out of the whole world of possibilities, what are the five main buckets? And we, we, we came up with five main buckets and this doesn't include include IPOs, right? So we're not, we're not helping people that are VC led that are going to IPOs or SPACs or that crap. This is like normal world stuff. So, and we categorize these and like they have, each of these exit options have different attributes and they're, they're different. So you can say, okay, out of these five buckets, what are the differences between them and how they impact what I want, my financial targets, et cetera. But the first one is internal. And the subcategories of that could be family, partnership buyouts. It could be, I mean, whatever combination of internal buyouts there are. The second one is what we call acquisition entrepreneur. A friend of mine wrote the book, Buy Then Build. Um, there's a lot of uh, hype out there about called search funds 
think about it as another architect that's going to come in with some money, either an SBA loan or some backing money backing them. And there's a there's there there's financial investors that are backing the horse, right? That horse is going to be a new CEO or new architect that's going to buy your firm. The architecture the fairy. <laughs> Potentially, yeah, like a fairy with a big pot of gold. Right. <laughs> um, the the third bucket is what we call ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans, and the the ESOP is a whole long discussion. But you get to a certain size, and that's a super interesting option. And then the the fourth bucket is private equity. Think financial buyers, right? So there's a pool of money. They go to buy a company to provide an internal rate of return. Private equity, the subcategories of that could be family offices. There's a, like a lot of different versions of private equity, but there's, you know, kind of the main category. The the fifth bucket is strategic buyers, another architect firm, right? Or someone that's up and down the supply chain or whatever it might be. And yes, there's a lot of combinations, but these five are just kind of like, hey, like I can, these four don't make sense. I'm probably going to focus on this. And how this relates to what is controllable for everybody that's listening in is internal acquisition entrepreneur ESOP and private equity are all going to start and value everything based on the financial intrinsic value. The, the, the strategic buyer, the fifth bucket mark is the ferry that everybody thinks is going to swoop in and they do no planning and they hope that this is going to happen where the, if you focus on just the financial value, your options are pretty endless. I mean, again, there's a lot of things you could be driving towards, but the whole point is to have some intentional focus of what is what is going to meet most of your goals. So, Ryan, before we wrap up, this is this has been super interesting. I think that architects, you know, we don't think like this, right? And and it's hard to think like this. Uh, so, first of all, if you are still struggling with the concepts that we talked about today, go to arcona.io. It's a r k o n a dot i o. There's a blog. Uh, Ryan has a podcast called Intentional Growth. You can search for that. Um, there's a whole series of guides over there that will help you. Um, and Ryan's there. Just You can connect with him and talk to him and ask, ask some questions. Um, so go over there. Um, Ryan, before we, we, we wrap up, what is one thing that an architect can do today, like right now, to build a better business for tomorrow? What's the one thing that they need to take away from this episode that they should be doing today? do you want to solve for annual income or create a more valuable business? I, like it's a choice and that one choice that you, and there's no right or wrong answer. That one choice will make everything else so much easier, Mark, because if you're sitting in a peer group with a bunch of architects and they're saying, grow, grow, grow. And you're like, Hey man, or everybody, I, that's not my goal. My goal is to take as much home as possible and have a lot of fun and enjoy what I'm doing. You just, it makes every, all the decisions become easier if you know what you're trying to focus on. So make a decision, <laughs> and then once yeah, you, right? and then once you make that decision, then you can start planning for what your the end is going to look like, right? And yeah, and, and walking away from it is is okay if that's what you chose to do and that's what you had planned to do. Yeah, being intentional. His name is Ryan Tansom, T A N S O M. The website is arcona.io, A R K O N A. Io. Again, there's a blog, Intentional Growth Podcast, a bunch of uh, guides over there. You can connect with Ryan. Uh, Ryan, what's the best way for people to connect with you on social media anywhere or just go LinkedIn. to the website? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yep. Okay. Ryan, thank you. I appreciate Thanks, you for Mark. coming here, talking about a complicated subject that many of us sort of glaze over 
but it's important. We all know that we need to know this stuff. And so that's why I like bringing people like you onto the show so we can sort of demystify all of this, understand the concepts. Um, and I appreciate for that. I appreciate you for coming and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thanks so much. It's been fun being on the other side. If you like this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion for their support of this podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community. Yep, it's there. And Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's in there for you at Entree Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? 
Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.